Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant. Hello, Em. Hey, Shell. So I'm Emily Bowen and I work for a business called Forsyth's Recruitment and HR. And as the name would suggest, all about recruitment and HR, but we're not alone today. Today on My Millennial Career, we are talking about one of the toughest role changes a person will have to make. It's the transition from team member to team leader. No doubt you've worked for a new team leader or you might be looking to become a new team leader. Well, this episode is for you. Today on the show, we are chatting with leadership and management and communication guru, Shane Hatton. Shane is a Queenslander by birth, Melbourneian by choice, curious by nature and creative at heart. He's spent the last decade developing remarkable leaders and teams. He blends his experience in business and psychology to help leaders communicate, connect and collaborate more effectively to bring out the best in those they lead. It sounds like we're in the right place to be looking for more good in our lives, Shell. Always. And the feeling is mutual when it comes to Newcastle Permanent. Make a change to Newcastle Permanent for banking that puts your needs first and invests back into local communities. Discover the difference at newcastlepermanent.com.au. Hey Shane, how are you? Okay, I need to be really honest up front. And yeah. we had a conversation a few weeks ago and we talked about me coming on the podcast. And since then, I felt like this kid before Christmas because the conversation was so good <laughs> a few weeks ago. I feel like we put a pin in it and we're about to pick up the conversation that we left off a few weeks ago. So I'm so excited. That's so cool. I love that so much. But I hope we live up to expectation. We were stoked because after, after our chat, we got off and we're like, oh, he's got so much energy. This is going to be the best episode. Like, So we were really vibing your energy across the screen because you are in Melbourne and we're up in Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, the, the online world we're living in makes things look very different, but I like that technology can kind of keep us together. It feels like we're in the same room. That's it. And today we are talking about, you can argue this statement, but I think one of the toughest role changes a person can make is going from a team member to a team leader or a manager. And Shane, I, w- when we were chatting with you, what, you've done some work on this and what the transition could look like and how to make that transition successful. Can you talk to us about what led you to, I guess, be interested in this um, shift that people make? There is this conversation that I feel like I'm regularly having with people, right, where they find themselves, um, I, I don't know, go for, for a lot of reasons, they're progressing through their career, they've got a little bit of aspiration or ambition, and they're on a team and they think to themselves, yeah, it would be really great maybe one day to lead a team. And then they they find themselves in the reality of what that actually looks like, where they go from being part of 
a team to then now carrying the responsibility of leading a team. And that transition, that journey can be really quite confronting for people. And so the more conversations that I have with people about this, the more that I realize it's actually not a natural progression. It actually takes some intention. It takes some effort uh, to navigate that transition well. So I started having conversations and reflecting on what could I do to have Uh, I guess ask better questions for people who are navigating that transition to help them make it a little bit more smooth and seamless for them. Totally agree with you. And I feel like it's a classic, you don't know what you don't know. And so it, no matter how much someone, or you, you think you can watch someone else doing it and go, oh, that job doesn't seem so difficult. I don't really, you know, what's all the fuss about when it comes to being a manager or a leader? And then you might have some conversations yourself or someone might, you know, give you a word of warning you move into the role and it was only within the last month that I was having a conversation with one of my peers who he's in his um, first team leader role and it's to cover mat leave and some of the things that were coming out of his mouth were along the lines of, I just didn't know how much extra work there was. Like it's all this unseen tip of the iceberg. You know, I think you look at it and go, oh, well, my manager seems to just make sure we're all doing our job at the, same, like, at the right time, that we're meeting, meeting deadlines. What you don't see is all of the complexity and the greyness and the dealing with people and relationships and humans and their behaviour. And so until you're really in uh, at the coalface – it can be really difficult to be prepared for that. What would you say is sort of the first thing that comes to mind for you, Shane? So when you're, you are working with people and you're starting to help prepare them for that shift or um, I guess making sure that they have the tools that they need, what is the first place that you go to with them? I mean, the first place is to maybe take a step back and, and reiterate what you've just touched on there is that this progression isn't always just a seamless, easy uh, next step in terms of your career. That actually does come with its own unique set of challenges and uh, its own unique set of complexities that are attached to that progression in your career. And so I often think about it if I was to draw it into this kind of metaphorical space. I, You know, those days where we used to be able to travel on planes. I don't know if you remember what planes are, um, but <laughs> I, I traveled a lot all the time. So 2019, I was on a plane every second week. And I felt like in some ways I was a good traveler, if if you could call it that, right? So you get really good at working the loopholes in the system. So it's like, okay, I know exactly how many uh, minutes I need to get from the front gate to the boarding gate. I know how early I need to arrive to be able to get to the lounge and get a coffee in order to be able to travel. Like I was good at traveling, but if you were to take me out of that travel environment and put me behind the controls of the plane, I would feel so overwhelmed and so out of my depth. And it is a different capability that's required to be able to travel on a plane as a passenger than it is for you to be able to sit behind the controls of the plane and fly the plane. And this, for me, metaphorically, is very much similar to that transition to leadership, right? You go from being a platinum status traveler and you're really good at being a team member, but it's actually not the same And in terms of the capabilities that are required when you find yourself thrust behind the controls. Like, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever felt like that? Like, you feel just out of your depth at times? And you've got so many more eyes on you as well. Mm. All of a sudden, rather than being that passenger who has maybe your manager's eyes on you, you're the manager with every team member looking at you and judging you, I would say, yeah. as well. And even I like that you've called out, Shane, in, in your opening, I guess, sentence about this of it's not a natural progression. I think everyone who is listening right now should just stop and think about it's not 
a natural progression. And that means that there's steps we need to take proactively to go, well, okay, if it's not super comfortable or easy to step into it, what are the things that I can do to make that transition more successful, knowing there's going to be bumps, failures, stuff ups like M's friend who's recently got in there. I'm sure he's had some learnings <laughs> of like, holy crap, what did I sign up for? So if you're coaching, because I know you do a lot of coaching with exec uh, leaders and, and teams, what do you say to them as like that first thing they should should think of, of okay, you're about to step in, What what is it that they should be doing? Yeah, I think one of the first things I'm reminding people of, and, and one of the reasons why it doesn't feel natural is not because it shouldn't be natural because it kind of should be in terms of like, it makes sense that the natural progression should be just to go from being on a team to leading a team to leading a leader. The reason why it doesn't feel natural for a lot of people is because of that. It's a different capability. And, and I think the important thing to remember is most of the time when you're on a team, you are rewarded and you are recognized for a certain set of capabilities And those capabilities, when they're rewarded and then when they're recognized, we think to ourselves, they're obviously really important. So I need to do more of those things, right? So if you think about any organization, what's celebrated is often what we see more of within the organization. So when we celebrate a certain set of capabilities, we tell our employees and our people, this is important to us. This is, this matters to us. Then when you find yourself in leadership, we we think, well, how do I be successful? I just do more of the things that got me to leadership. And so I think one of the things that I would encourage people to do is to remember that the capability is going to look different. So what was celebrated and rewarded as a team member isn't necessarily what's going to help you to succeed and thrive in leadership. So if we were to look at the first one, again, of a bunch of different shifts that we could make, let's look at the area around, let's talk priorities. So your priorities as a team member look very different to priorities as a team leader, right? Has this been your experience? There's a huge shift in what's important to you. Oh, totally. Like all of a sudden you kind of, instead of your priorities being your own, like I've got this list of five things that I have to do. It's like, or I want to leave on time or I want to pay rise or I want a promotion. It, it becomes all my priorities are actually stuff that other people are outworking and yeah. to then get those done through people is completely different. Like the level of control that you have is all of a sudden feels like it's kind of gone. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with a guy who had just been promoted into leadership and I said to him, how are you finding it? Like, what's the experience like? He, he said to me, he goes, I feel like I could lead a whole lot better if people stopped interrupting me. <laughs> oh, yes. And I was I like, I can one. relate. I get that. And he, he hadn't made that shift, right, that he's not no longer just responsible to himself and his own priorities. But now he has a responsibility to help other people on the priorities of their work. And one of the big priority shifts I think that I see in first-time leaders is going from this place where they're most of the time in the team member role, they're deeply transactional. All their work is pretty much delivering on the outcomes and the priorities that someone sets for them. But then as a leader, you have to step out of that transactional space where you start to be more strategic. And now you start to ask the questions, well, what should we be working on? And what should my team be occupying their time with? And so it's a very different capability. And I think um, the last 12 to 18 months, uh, definitely in the last um, six to eight months, we've seen a lot more of this in where people are moving around hybrid working. We're having so many conversations with people around what does hybrid working look like? And for many leaders, they're still um, navigating the complexity of moving from a transactional nature of their work to a strategic nature of their work, which is the distinctions I would say between these two is transactional tends to focus on the output quantity, which is how much work are you getting done? Whereas strategic tends to focus on outcome quality, which is like 
are we doing the right work? And so this is a distinction between those two types of leadership, right? Which is, are my team producing enough because I can see that they're doing the work or are my team getting the right work done uh, that I can see the outcomes are being achieved? And so most people are struggling right now with this tension of, well, if I can't see you, then I don't know if you're working. And again, it kind of takes that focus back to the output quantity. And so that's where people are really struggling to even still make this transition. I've found as a leader that um, I'll have this voice in my head that's going, oh, if I didn't, if my inbox didn't fill up so quickly, or if I wasn't interrupted so often, then I, I just, you know, I could get more work done, or I just need to get my work done. So I just need to try and block out my emails or whatever it might be. But then a different voice kicks in, which is, but hang on, in order for those people to be able to do their work, I actually need to make sure that I'm not being, I guess, a stop to that. I need to make sure that I can get back to them quickly, that I'm available, that I have some sort of methodology in place for prioritizing. Well, if they need an answer, it's actually my job to help them have that answer so that then they can keep moving because otherwise I'm just going to create a total blockage. That's it. And I even think about that transition from transactional to strategic one of the things that I see when people first step into leadership is they come at it with this project management philosophy. (laughs) Like I'm going to manage all the work through and I just want to stop them and sometimes shake them and go, you're not a project manager. Like (laughs) you're a people leader and a people leader is fundamentally different to managing projects. You're not managing tasks or output. You're, you're leading people to get that done. And I think, I guess I'm interested, Shane, of how do you get people to go from a mindset of transactional to strategic? Because, I mean, I, I don't know how, I guess, how do you lead those people to do that? Okay, and if I can add another little thought in there, something I see in those early days is this sense of maybe guilt of, well, because it's thinking work rather than do, doing work, it's like, oh, am I getting enough done? How do I measure that I'm being successful, I feel like I'm not doing enough. And it's because you're spending more time thinking or talking. That's a real place. But even people who aren't in leadership can still feel the guilt of, am I doing enough work? I was having a conversation with someone in a program recently and I said, how are you finding this new world of working where you're working part-time from home, part-time from the office, or you're kind of blending these experiences? And she said to me, I feel that it's really difficult to know whether or not I'm working too hard or not working hard enough. And I was like, okay, tell me more about that. And she was like, when you're all in the office with each other, you have this visibility of what other people are doing. So you see what time they show up to work. You see how long they take at lunch. You see when they go home at the end of the day. And she said, I get to five or five 30 in the afternoon and I have no one to look around and say, okay, it's time to go home now. And so she said, I don't know if other people are at their house finishing up at four o'clock or finishing up at six o'clock. And she said, so I, I just keep working. And she said, now I don't know whether I'm working too hard or whether other people are still working later than me. So there's that tension between when we're caught up in transactional, you just caught up in doing the work, right? And you're doing the work that produces a visible out, you know, put to the people around you. And so that's really challenging. I think in the first part, the second piece to this puzzle is that um, when you're working in a team, we tend to celebrate people who have a high capacity to carry work. I mean, as a leader of a team, like you think about it, what do you want from your team? Well, you want your team who are high capacity people. You want them to be able to carry more. You want to be able to delegate more to them and feel like they're helping carrying the weight of that. And so, of course, when someone takes on more work, you celebrate when they do that. And so part of this is almost, in, in a sense, 
um, going back and reminding ourselves that just because we celebrated that at one stage within our, our work and our career doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's most important to me right now. And probably like most guests, I'm guessing on this um, podcast will say so much of this comes back to the mindset conversation, which is what is my role as a leader? What am I here to do? And my role as a leader is not to deliver work. It's to deliver outcomes. Mm, so good. And I think getting back to what you said earlier of, of what is the right work we want to be doing, not just smashing out the quantity. It's like going back to, we want the quality work to be happening, yeah. which is a shift for a leader, especially in the early days, but an important one to make. So let's go. We've nailed the priority piece. We've made that shift. We're now looking at strategic priorities rather than transactional. I've seen you talk about our culture. What does that look like? Yeah, I think if we were to try to distill most of the leadership shifts down into two big ones that everyone has to go through, I'd say the first one is a transition from a manager to a leader. And and we hear quite a lot about that transition. And the second one I would say is it's moving from individual to collective. And it's moving from that place where everything for a long time has been all about me. It's been, where do I fit on this team? How do I play my, my part on this team? How are my strengths celebrated? Um, do I like the work that I'm doing? And everything has really just focused on me. And then we find ourselves in leadership and now we have all these other people who are focused on me. And now you go, oh my gosh, now I've got all these people to lead. And there are a team of individuals with their own strengths and weaknesses and quirks and differences. And now I have to try and bring some kind of collective um, uh, experience for these people. And culture obviously is one of those crucial elements to a team. I've described it and kind of part of my next book that's coming out is around the culture being this idea of team glue. It helps bring people together, keep people together and keep people on your team. And it's this kind of invisible, intangible quality that we talk about that we know is important. But most people have never really had to think about their role in it. They've just think about had to think about how they fit within it. And part of a, a leader's responsibility is to how do I create this collective sense of we and a culture that everyone can want to belong to? That collective sense of we is so good, Shane. I, one of the things that's really bothered me for a while in our HR speak or in workplace like um, dialogue has been the individual contributor, like this term that we've just fully embraced and accepted. And so when you talk about that's what's celebrated is I'm an individual contributor or I'm a leader or manager. And I think we need to throw that term out and say no more individual contributors. We have team players and we have team leaders. And for the leader, they need to create the culture. But for us as individuals on a team, we need to, I think, shift from the individual contributor language and mindset towards how do I be a team player and then also add to the culture that we're trying to create. Have you found that in your experience that that, that language has been unhelpful for people? Well, I mean, if you think back to your experience growing up, let, like let's go back early, early days, primary school, kind of growing up as a kid. What do you celebrate in schooling? Well, we celebrate individual contributors. You you do a running race and you get a, a medal for coming first. You do an assessment in, in school or a test and you get, you know, a I don't know, recognition for being one of the top percentile in your class. You go to university and um, you're celebrated based on your individual grades and criteria. And then we throw people into the workforce and we go, hey, we want to create collaborative environments. 
And like mm-hmm. everything up until this moment in your life has been rewarded based on individual achievement. So it's not surprising to me that when you get into the workplace that people struggle to collaborate. Like what, what's been your experience in the past of group assignments? Oh, I still remember when I knew that I was doing my last ever group assignment and being so excited that it was done. And also like me, like I remember, uh, yeah, like the last group assignment I did, I was like, I will do this. Oh. I will just do this for us you know because what? I don't, don't trust you guys. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's the thing, right? So when you're going as, into your first time as a leader, your reference point to what works and what doesn't is all about me. How do you become a we person instead of a me person? Like, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, you think about it like, um, you know, let's let's take driving a car as an example. When you just jump in a car and go for a drive, you pretty much just have to consider, you know, how to drive the vehicle. When you're parking, you just think about, you know, the front and the back of your car. When you're thinking about, you know, um, basically everything involved in driving a car, you just have to think about yourself. Now, if we were to, for a moment, attach a trailer to that car, it drastically changes how you um, drive that vehicle. You don't park the same way. You don't go into the same terrains. I, you may imagine going off-road in a four-wheel drive. You can kind of go through any kind of off, off-site terrain. But if you put a trailer attached to the back of that, you have to be more considerate of the places that you go and the things that you do. And so for a team member, you might have this agility, this speed, this adaptability to kind of just do whatever you want because you don't have to think about the people around you. When you put yourself in leadership, you attach people to your leadership, which means the decisions that you make no longer just affect you, they influence the people around you. The standards that you allow and that you permit become the standards that everybody else allows and permits of those around you. So this me to kind of we collective idea is is a huge shift because we have to remember that the decisions we make now influence other people. And I often talk about this idea of the culture collision and the culture collision ultimately is this idea of, well, this is the way I do things. And and people hate the kind of the simplicity of culture being about the way that we do things, but it's the easiest way to explain it and unpack it. Culture just in essence is just the way that we do things here. Now, the problem is that if I do the way, the way I do things over here is this way and the way you do things over there is this way. When we come into the workplace, those cultures collide and Neither one of them may be right or wrong, but it might not be what's expected of us when we come together collectively. And so as a leader, part of our responsibility is to help bring clarity for people in our team is what do we do collectively as a team? So maybe over here you had high autonomy, but maybe over here you had you know a lot of micromanagement. Well, what do we want together as a team? Maybe it's somewhere in the middle or maybe it's somewhere closer to the edges. But if we're never explicit about that and we never tell people about that, then there'll always be this undercurrent of unspoken spokens. That is such the perfect segue to communication, which dare I say is such a powerful tool for a leader, but also so dangerous. Can you tell us about communication? I want to know what you mean by dangerous. Tell me about (laughs) why. why. I I want to know what dangerous communication means for you. Oh, I just think for me, communication, because it's so subjective, like, you know, you use that word clarity and I will put my hand up and say, I've been the person who absolutely thinks I'm being so clear, but for whatever reason, time then passes, things don't seem to go to plan. And if I'm trying to reflect or I'm trying to go, well, how could I, what, you know, what role did I play in that? Then I've absolutely got to question, was I actually clear or did I just think I was clear? You know, how did the other person hear that? What could I have done differently? And so for me, it's that realm of misunderstanding that I think can become dangerous. And we, I'd like to 
think that as leaders, we take communication really seriously because as I say, I believe that it can be so powerful, but with power comes, you know, the good and the bad. Yeah. And, and really well described because I think in many ways, if you think about the communication process, what it is, is it's this, this idea of a message or a signal uh, that you kind of capture and then communicate to somebody else in the hope that they would decode it in the same way that it was encoded. And so you encode the message with all of your um, biases and your perspective and, you know, your experience and you give it to the other person and they hear it. But when they decode it, they decode it through the lens of their own experience and their bias. And you hope and you walk away that what you sent to them is what they received. And communication, that's, I guess, where so many communication issues come from is that we decode it wrong or we've missed the meaning or we've misunderstood or we've misinterpreted. Um, and I think as a leader, that becomes amplified through a team because you're not just talking to one person anymore. Now you're talking to multiple people. And that message that was misunderstood or misinterpreted can be am- amplified based on the team that you're leading. So yeah, it can be really dangerous. I think the other side of this to, to communication is that when you're on a team, most of your responsibility around communication is just getting information across. So it's being able to let a person know what you're working on, what you're doing, where you're going, uh, what problems you have, what you need from that person. And then we find ourselves in leadership of a team and we're no longer just responsible for just sharing information. It's not just part of our job to take whatever's been happening above us and then give it to the people below us. We now need to be able to influence people's behavior. So it's not just about information sharing. Now it's about influencing behavior, which is means that we need to inspire people. It means we need to motivate people through our communication. It means we need to be able to understand um, their meaning and help them feel motivated in their role. And so communication shifts and it changes. And it's just another one of those things where we've got to ask ourselves, well, how do I go away from just purely being like similar to priorities, transactional communication to more strategic communication to uh, influencing behaviors, not just uh, informing people with information. Yeah, unfortunately, I think it becomes aware, uh, we become aware pretty quickly that just changing your job title doesn't necessarily mean you can tell people what to do and have them do it. It doesn't work like that with humans. But if only it was that easy. We, oh, I know. Um, how do we build influence though? I mean, you know, we've called that out as being something that's critical, but I, if I'm listening, I'm going, yeah, but Shane, tell me how, what's the secret? <laughs> I wish there was secrets to influence, but you know, when we talk about communication, we often think about it through the lens of the how-tos. Most people, when they found out, so when I wrote my first book, which is Lead the Room, it was all around helping people to communicate with, I guess, more influence. And when people found out that I did training around communication, the first question I would always get asked started with that question of how. It was, you know, how do I project my voice more? How do I build my credibility? How do I, you know, develop a reputation that, you know, I can be proud of? Or, you know, how do I, you know, it's all the how-to questions. And I go, it's kind of important to understand the technique and the, and the, um, the technicalities of speaking. And I said, but kind of in doing so, you miss some of the more crucial elements that come to play around great communication. And I, I think about like, imagine if I was to show up and we weren't scheduled to do this podcast or imagine someone who's listening right now, I just showed up on your doorstep and you had no idea who I was. And I said, Hey, Hey, Em, can you just come just jump in my car? I want to take you for a drive. Now, out of curiosity, is your answer, to, what's your answer to that question? I'm just in my head, I'm going, that'd be weird. It would <laughs> be no. super weird. I think it's a no, yeah. It's, it's a big no for me. But, but what if I gave you some more to this equation? Let, let me unpack a bit more. So maybe I said, um, not only, you know, we're going to go for a drive, but I want, I want to take you somewhere, your favorite place to go. You know, maybe I'm going to, you know, take you to 
you know, your favorite destination. And I'll add a bit more information to that, which is that, and, and I don't mean to brag here, I'm a really good driver. And I, and I mean that I, I haven't lost any demerit points or wherever your listeners are I've gained demerit points. It's all different in different systems, but I'm really good. And I'm, I've managed twice now to be top of a defensive driving course. So I'm not just saying I'm a good driver. I'm a really good driver. Knowing that you're going somewhere that you want to go and knowing how good of a driver I am, are you more likely to get in the car with me now? I think I'm, I'd need a bit more convincing, but I'm certainly more <laughs> likely. I'm still listening. <laughs> We're moving along that continuum. You may be a little bit more inclined. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But still a long way off getting in the car with a stranger. And the big reason you don't want to get in the car with me is because you don't trust me. You don't know who I am. And I think when it comes to communication, we put so much emphasis on being a really good driver or trying to take somewhere really, someone somewhere really valuable. And we forget that the, one of the most crucial elements in this is that people trust us. And so as a leader, part of the influence conversation is not a conversation about influence. It's a conversation about trust. I really want to keep digging into this, but we're going to have to take a break. So we're going to do the shortest break ever because I really want us to come back and, and talk a little bit more about this influence piece. So we'll be right back. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we've created a bunch of different podcasts. So go and check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and Gen Z Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And we're back. So I love what you're saying there, Shane, that we often go to the technical, the practical where we're like, okay, just give us, hey, Shane, just give me the five steps so that I can influence everyone I interact with. But I think what you're saying is much more nuanced than that. And I also think as I was listening to you talk that through, I've seen so many different leaders that I've worked with influence in very different ways. So the boss that I've worked with for a long time, her style or brand of influence is very different to the CEO who who led the, the business that I was in. And going back to that trust piece and, and what you've seen working with leaders, do you feel like there's just, it, it's more about bringing some of your personality and who you are to it that enables you to influence it's a huge, a huge part. And this is again, why the conversation's less about influence and more about trust. It's, it's less about how and more about who. I think it determines like the who shapes um, how you do things along the way. And so I would say if, if it comes to building this, uh, I guess what I would call positioning, um, and I call it positioning because positioning ultimately is described as this mental real estate. It's the kind of space that you occupy in other people's minds, which means that if my positioning is strong in your mind, 
then you are more likely to trust me because the mental real estate that you occupy is a positive space. And so if we were to talk about positioning yourself well, um, I think that's a starting point for influence. And this is made up of kind of two key spaces. I think there's a front stage and there's a backstage to all of this. And you've kind of alluded to a little bit, which I really love. There's this backstage, which is all about me. It's, it's kind of my, my deep work, the behind the scenes, uh, yeah, the, the, the backstage of my life. And then there's this kind of front stage and that's the things that are more observable to other people. And I think if we were to break it down further onto those um, spaces, there's also things that are more descriptive, the things we might say, and there's things that are more observable. They're things that we might, you know, notice about another person. So let's go backstage for a moment. I think if there were things that we could do that are, I guess, the unseen elements that are both spoken about and observed, it would be there are things that I see that nobody else sees. And I would I would unpack that and categorize that as character. I think character is that essence that you know who you are, you know what your strengths are, you know the kind of person that you are, but that's not necessarily observable to other people. It's really kind of just observable to you. It's who you are when no one's in the room. It's your own internal thoughts and your own internal beliefs. And I think there's more descriptive qualities about that, which is what I would describe as your your, your narrative. And the narrative is something that um, is made up of the stories that you tell yourself, which play a huge part in all of this, and also the stories that you tell about yourself. So like imagine this dividing line backstage is character and, and narrative, which is who am I really and who do I say that I am? And that really influences what I would say is the behind the scenes. But if we were to kind of flip those and put them into the front stage, well, I think we we see narrative in terms of the backstage quality expressed in a public environment as reputation. So the stories that I tell about myself and the kind of person that I show up as ultimately shapes who other people, um, the way other people talk about me. So that often described as our reputation. But if we look at the more observable qualities, we see character in a public space shows up often and is described as um, credibility. So I think these four elements to me of character and narrative and reputation and credibility all feed into each other, but they all play a really important part in positioning yourself as both a trusted leadership voice to those around you and it positions you well in the mind of others. And I think this is such a nice time to remember that when we're talking about this transition from team member to team leader or team player, as I really like that capture shell, it's this is something you can be working on before you've had that title change or that promotion or that formal call up to be a manager or a leader. It's like so much of this, part of the transition and readiness has to be working on it before the moment. Don't wait for that moment to come and then go, right, what were those things Shane said I needed to do? Um, but actually begin before that. Uh, that's a beautiful on-ramp. Like I'm just seeing as we're going, that's the on-ramp to leadership. And the more you can do before you get the title, the better place you'll be to succeed. Because I think what what the challenge is, people, most people probably just do it once they get the title. Mm. Or you'll miss, I think you're more likely to be either looked at for an opportunity or accepted if you put your hand up for an opportunity, if you've already demonstrated, well, in inverted commas, you're doing the job anyway. So we may as well change a title or absolutely, it's a no-brainer. It makes sense for you to take this on. We should move on though. Um, that's, you know, influence is so fascinating and communication. We could spend a lot of time there. And and 
all of our listeners need to get the book Lead the Room, which yeah. talks a <laughs> lot about this, right, Shane? So just a little plug there. Or, you know, watch the videos. Shane's got lots of videos on LinkedIn. So much good content on LinkedIn. Yes. Oh, everyone needs to get on there. And we'll talk about where to find Shane later um, at the end of the episode. But yes, I'm the person that keeps us moving. So let me keep us moving. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Shell, where are we going next? What's our next? Okay. One? So the next... Oh, Yes, I'm excited because I just read the question. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is my favourite area. So as a HR person, one of our roles is around helping leaders do this thing called performance management. Everyone hates that term, performance management. (laughs) It's like the death trap. But you talk about the shift that we need to make from team member to team leader around performance. What does that look like to you? Yeah, again, this is another one of those things that if we think about what we reward and what is celebrated as a team member, most of our experiences as a team member, we're rewarded based on our ability to be able to solve problems. And when you think about like when you're a team leader, what do you want from your um, the team that you're leading? We say, well, come with um, answers, don't come with questions, right? Come with solutions, don't come with problems, And so as a team leader, you instill within your team this proactive approach to coming with an answer or coming with a solution. And then when we find ourselves in leadership, this changes because what ends up happening is everybody wants to come to you and they want to get your input on everything. They want to come to you and they want to kind of um, get you to do everything and, and get involved in everything. And so what ends up happening is it pulls you out of the strategic, which we were talking about before, down into the transactional, right? And part of our role as a leader is to spend less time doing things and more time developing people. And so what this means is we need to shift from going, well, how do I, you know, solve more problems, get involved in more things and do and deliver more um, things to how do I develop more problem solvers, which is how do I actually help you to be able to uh, develop the capabilities that are required to solve the problem so you don't have to bring anything to me. And I think one of the things that's challenging for this is that as a new leader, it can be very, I would say, flattering um, when someone brings you something that they want your input on, even if they come with a solution that they want your input on it or for you to give the approval on it, feels very flattering that they would, you know, want your input. But the danger of that is we miss the opportunity to develop people in the process of that. I would say there's also a sense of maybe security, like, oh, I'm relevant to this or I'm... I've, I need to add some value, but yeah. uh, I think it's it's, um, it's a bit of a trick or a bit of a trap. And the difference is you become, in that development process with a person, you, you're multiplying, you're trying to multiply rather than to answer those immediate things. You're like, how do I bring this person, increase their capability and how they kind of analyze and solve their problems, but it takes heaps more time. Like Shane, if you come to me and you say, oh, Shell, what do you think about this? The quickest thing to do is go, okay, here's what you need to do. And that's just essentially me just telling you what to do as opposed to that. And I know you talk about this in your work of the coaching conversations that really shift it into, well, okay, Shane, no, what do you think we need to do here and start to build your critical thinking capability. But it's, it's going to take more time. It's going to take more investment. Is that what you've seen or how do you help people to allow for the time that it takes to coach? It does and it doesn't. And I think this is one of the hardest things to to get across for people who are transitioning into this space where they're becoming more coach-like in the way that they lead. Uh, One of the biggest fears that people have, if we take just a half step back for a second to the communication 
uh, conversation we were just having. One of the biggest fears people have about communication is what do I do if someone asks me something and I don't have an answer? People get really concerned about that, that fear of not knowing something. And one of the reframes that I try to instill as much as I can to the people I work with is what do you do when you do know the answer? What do you do when someone comes with a question and you immediately know that you've got the answer to that? And it's so much quicker. It's so much easier. It's so much less painless to be able to just give them the answer and send them away. You feel great as a leader because you were able to help. You were able to be in service. You were able to add value, but it's actually really disempowering for the people that you lead. And so the question is, what do you do when you do have the answer? How do you hold back from giving the answer straight away to allow the other person the time to at least have a go at coming up with a solution for themselves? And so what I say, but said before about the time uh, commitment being a yes and a no to this conversation is yes, it takes a little bit more time up front to coach than it does to give them the answer. But within that coaching conversation is a capability that you're developing within that person to be able to solve that problem and not just the presenting problem, but the real problem that sits below the surface of that. And often what we find is that when a person brings a problem to you, it's usually a surface level problem of something that's a lot deeper that's going on below the surface. And if we help them address the underlying problem, they're not going to come back five, six, seven times over the next six months with the same problem expressed in a different way. So let's let's use it as an example. Someone's got conflict on a team. They could come to us and say, I'm having conflict on my team. And you could go, well, why don't I set up a mediation between you and that person? You help facilitate the conversation and you resolve the conflict, but you never deal with the underlying issue. Well, in two weeks time, three weeks time, when that issue presents itself again with conflict with another team member, what you do is say, well, I'm going to help you mediate the conversation with another person rather than teaching them how to deal with the conflict in the first place. So yes, it takes a little bit more time up front, but it absolutely saves so much more time in the long run for you. And if I can play that role of thinking, okay, well, if I'm a listener who has identified that I'd really like to make this transition or I've been speaking with my manager and I know that a transition is coming at me in the next one year, two to three years, whatever it might be, if you're going to your manager and you're finding that they're just saying to you, I'll set up a mediation, we'll, you know, I'll sort it out, I would encourage you to feel like you can say, well, actually... I was hoping we wouldn't go to mediation straight away. I'm, I'd really like the opportunity to try and sort this out myself. I probably just need some help from you. Here's the solution I'm thinking. Is that how you would approach it? What would you do? Or another idea that comes to mind for me is if you're going to your manager and you're seeking approval on something, so it might be, you know, here's a business case or here's something that's come up. Is it okay if I go ahead with this? Often managers will say, yep, approved. And you could just easily go away and act on that. But I'd encourage you to actually ask them, what have they thought through? What processes happened in their minds that you haven't heard or seen? What have they considered in making sure that that is a yes? Or if they're saying no, same thing goes there. Would you guys agree with that? I guess it's, you know, it's just flipping and going, how do you use this insight to ready yourself for that leadership role? Yeah, I think I was having a conversation with a friend of mine in the US the other day. His name's Chad Littlefield. And he had this great thought. He said, I always like to think in questions, not in answers. 
And if you're thinking that you're in this place where maybe in the next 12 to 18 months, you'd like to even progress into a leadership um, role or a team, team leader role, everything we're talking about today is the foundation that's going to help make that transition as easy as possible for you. So you can start doing all of these things now. When it comes to your workload, you can start asking the question of your team leader now, hey, which of the of the work that you've delegated to me? aligns best to the outcomes that we're working towards as a team. Or the question you might ask is what outcomes are we trying to work towards as an organization or as a team? With it, When it's culture, we could ask the question like, um, you know, what are the qualities that we value on this team? Uh, when it comes to communication, it could be uh, what are we trying to move people towards in terms of uh, the behaviors that we'd like to see more of or for this area around development, rather than saying, what do you think I should do on this situation? Perhaps the better question to ask is a question. What are the questions that I should be asking right now from your perspective that might help me to make a better decision in this situation? So rather than asking for answers, ask for questions. Yeah, it's it, there's so much in what you've just said, both of you, around being curious. And I think if you're going to lead people, you need to be curious because people are weird. Like we're all so weird. And like, <laughs> we're all dysfunctionally like- weird. Totally. And so instead of being like uh, fixed in your mindset, being curious about why, why is that? Yeah. Why is that person getting to that answer the way that they are? And and coming at your leadership role with a really curious mindset will help you to navigate the weirdness that is leadership and the weirdness and beauty of it. And the other thing I, as I was hearing you both share around this thing of performance is one aspect that I think, and we've probably only got time for two more questions, so I've taken one and and you can do the next one. Yeah, sure. But one of the things that I see leaders really struggle with in their, not in their first year, but throughout their time as a leader is the difficult conversations, the ones that we don't want to have, the ones where we need to tell someone, hey, you're not doing the fullness of the role, you need to lift your performance in this area. What is your advice, Shane, for leaders when they need to have those tough conversations? How do they get to that place where they can actually do it? Yeah, I I would say coming back to what you touched on, the idea of curiosity. Curiosity is not just a skill for leadership. It's a skill for life. Um, I would say if I could remove the entire schooling process, education process, and just give one, one skill that every person could learn that would add the most value to their life. My personal perspective on that is I would teach people how to be a learner. I would I would teach them how to learn because I think learning and curiosity opens up so, so many doors for you to be able to develop and grow. And so I would go back to the difficult conversations and first and foremost, I would, I'd kind of remove the language that causes them to feel like they're difficult conversations for you. So whether that they're confronting or whether they're conflicted or whatever that kind of language is that makes them feel big and scary to you, I'd, I'd kind of pull that away from this. And I would go in through the lens of number one, curiosity, and number two, um, input. And, and what I mean by that is go in with the open-mindedness uh, to go, I could be wrong here. And I might be, you know, everything that I'm observing here is from a particular perspective. And the second lens of input, which is I want you to give me your side that I might be missing here. In every conversation, there's always a perspective that we might be missing. So just really quickly as an example, we might be in a meeting, one person's on their laptop, they're disengaged and checked out. We could say that's really annoying that they didn't contribute to the conversation. And so it feels like a difficult conversation to tell them they shouldn't have done that. Now, if I ask in through the lens of curiosity for their input, they might say, well, hey, I've got all this family stuff going on at the moment. I'm getting bombarded with emails and I just felt really distracted. 
the whole nature of that conversation changes through the lens of input. So I'd say rather than seeking to have a difficult conversation, seek for input and curiosity. We call them, and I've always loved the term of healthy conversations. Instead of difficult, it's actually healthy. And sometimes it's hard to have, it's hard to be healthy as a person sometimes, but it's also, they they can be hard, but but reframing it as this is a healthy place for us to be. Mm, There's a richness that I know. I know you're conscious of time. Yeah, I'm that guy. Um, So... Oh, and look, partly because we cannot get away without talking about vision. I um, really want to make sure we fit this in. You have nine different areas that we could have explored today. And without the luxury of endless time, we selected five. And we're finishing on vision. And I just, I mean, I love the word. I love what it stands for. But you kick us off, Shane. Tell us about vision and its relevance to this transition. Yeah, I mean, you think about any leader's role, they're out the front. And by aspiring to leadership, which I think is a really good thing, I, I think that, that people should aspire to leadership. Now, not everyone wants it, but I think it's a really good thing. And But part of that means you're out the front. And part of being out the front means you need to be able to connect people um, from where they are to the future that they're working towards. And there's kind of two different ways that we can lead. We can lead because we're waiting for that sense of um, position, And it's that once I get the title of a leader, then people will respect me and follow me because I've got the title. And and I think you both know, and and anyone who's been in leadership for a little while knows that title doesn't equate to people following you, I'm like, yeah, good luck to you. (laughs) I've tried it. It doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah, because most of the time it comes from a sense of power um, and it's that sense of maybe an underlying sense of ego, which is that if you lead from a sense of, of power or position, people will only ever feel like they're forced to or that they have to. And I think we we go from power or we maybe try to use um, position or maybe that sense of persuasion, right? Which is like, well, if you don't do this, then these are the consequences because of my title or my position. And so it's either I feel forced to um, because of power or I feel like I have to because of guilt, which is if you don't do this. And it's all push and, and it's just not a healthy way to lead. There's this flip and there's this distinction where we kind of move above the line where it goes from maybe it's about position or it's about persuasion to it being about passion and about purpose. And that goes from being about guilt or from about from power to being about meaning and about vision. And it goes from feeling like I, I have to or, you know, I'm forced to to I actually get to and that I want to. I think every leader wants to lead out of a place where people show up every day going, I just feel incredibly grateful to be a part of what we're doing here. And I don't think you can do that unless you can cast vision and get people out of a place where it's all about status and title to where it's all about being in service to something that's bigger than you. The other idea I like to consider as a team leader with vision is being able to see things that others don't see. And so we touched just earlier in the conversation on this idea of being curious and thinking, well, what if there's a perspective or multiple perspectives that I'm just not seeing? And so for me, I think absolutely, let's look to a vision for the future or a vision that's bigger than ourselves, but let's also remind ourselves to spend time trying to see things that others don't and having a vision for what's going on. And including your team in the vision casting Mm. or vision crafting, whatever that looks like to be able to go, because I think one of the risks as a leader is you think, and, and we've talked about it earlier, you have to have the answers. Mm. But actually when you get the diverse perspectives of your team into that creating, like here's what I'm thinking, here's where I think we're going, what, where do you guys see us going as well and how do we do it together to get the buy-in? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Are there, I mean, again, we haven't had the luxury of being able to spend time on all nine, but people, please do go and, and look up Shane and, and look at his work. Shane, though, before we let you go, would you say that there are areas maybe out of the five that we've spoken on that are more difficult than others, typically, and or more important than others for our listeners who are making this transition? I wouldn't say that there's any that are particularly more important than others or even more difficult because I think every person based on their experience is going to find that some things come naturally to them versus some of the other areas. So for you, managing your workload and your priorities might come really naturally to you because you you are generally a an organized disciplined person another person might find that their you know communication comes naturally to them so they have to emphasize some of the others and so i think again i wouldn't put any more importance or weight on any of them and i would just say that there is part of this conversation is understanding what is it that comes natural to you and if what are the things that will come uh, e- a lot more easy to you and how do you start to leverage those and use those more often And then what are the areas that might be a little bit more challenging for you? And who do you know? Who are the people around you that do this well? And what is the wisdom that you could learn from, I guess, just powerful collaboration? Coming back to earlier conversations, how could you ask the right questions of those people to help enlarge your perspective? And I I like this idea of including other people's perspective in this. Um, I was having a conversation with um, Kendra Banks, who's a managing director of SEEK just recently. And she said, the thing that you've always got to remember Um, even if you're not the most senior person in the room, if you're in the room, you're there because you have a perspective that you can see that nobody else can't. And so as a leader, we've got to be constantly asking ourselves, how do I surround myself with the right people? Not just how do I get better at everything myself? And so, yeah, I would say find the areas that you need to collaborate around and leverage the areas that you're already doing really well yourself. That's so good, Shane. And we think about the purpose of this podcast is to help people get to their and build their dream career and what you've said just at the end there of of understanding your strengths and then leveraging those around to build those areas you're developing in is so good and we're just so grateful to you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and hang out with us today we could have talked for heaps longer I want to go through all nine areas how can we do that but yeah thank you so much and I just want to I know our listeners will want to connect with you how do they go about doing that yeah, I mean, the easiest way to connect with me with me is just at shanemhatton.com. Um, that's kind of my website. And then you can hang out with me on any of the social platforms just at Shane M. Hatton. Pretty much everywhere you'll find me. All over the internet. All the internet. <laughs> hey, and when's, when's your next book coming out? Uh, look, we haven't announced it yet, but we'll say early next oh. year. Oh, exciting. So Put good. the pressure of a deadline on you. Probably. Yeah, well, we'll is, get you back is, on the show like when that there. comes out. <laughs> I, I will. It's been such a privilege uh, to be able to talk to you both. I, I honestly feel like we could talk all day as well. And I actually think what you're doing is so valuable um, in terms of the audience and the people who are listening to this podcast. To even start thinking about leadership before you're in leadership is just such a valuable conversation to be having. Um, even if, if for people who are listening, it feels like leadership's a long way off in the future. These are things that you can do now that will just drastically transform the way that you show up to work and the way that you live your life and so I think just such a valuable conversation so thank you awesome thank you so much thank you Shane really appreciate your time if you're listening on Apple Podcasts be sure to give us a five star rating and review we love your feedback and make sure you subscribe because that gets the podcast out there thanks heaps
we acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we've created a bunch of different podcasts. So go and check out My Millennial Money, My Millennial Money Express, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and Gen Z Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.